Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 50. We made 50. it to 50, boys. F-I-F-T-Y, 50. <laughs> That's right. Ding, ding, ding. You didn't even have to ask to use it in a sentence, Sam. You could yeah. spell it all on your own. What's the country of origin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. it's going to be well, one you, of those you, nights. <laughs> you heard both both of them we got a full crew tonight so both justin and sam are, are joining me on the on the podcast tonight we got some some general seattle sports updates and then we're gonna really go di- deep dive into this uh this this coaching carousel that that we have here at, at uw football and and coaching carousel the... what happened <laughs> we'll get into that justin i'm glad that you asked uh, but before we do, obviously, want to let the let the let the good men speak on what they're sipping on tonight. To um, I don't know if they're in a celebratory mood or we can celebrate fifty. It's it's kind of a weird weird mood right now. I feel like with UW football, especially. But uh, Sam, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm sipping on some Jack Daniels, celebrating our fiftieth episode. Give ourselves a little pat on the back. It's a little mm-hmm. bit of accomplishments, probably well over a hundred hours of content we've put out. So it's, it's been a good ride. Let's do 50 yeah. more and go batshit crazy for episode 100. Um, but yeah, I'm generally excited. I think, you know, obviously bittersweet and we'll get into all that, but I think anytime you're going through coaching changes, like for people like us that just like to talk shop and talk ball, it's, great talking it's, it's the best talking points and it's fun to spitball possibilities and and all yeah. that so in general you know the season's pretty much over with we've known that for a while gotta win the apple cup and uh other than that it, i think i'm just excited to see what the next steps will be so generally my mood is better than it has been i'll say that sure how justin? about you justin optimistic for the huskies right i think they're hopefully i mean we have to get the coaching higher right and you know changing the course of the program and the perception of the program and i think any it's like a it's like a kid on christmas eve right now at this one you're say your year's been shit but there's one good day coming and there's maybe a turnaround in your life and you get that basketball hoop you've always wanted so that's what I feel like. I want that basketball hoop. I want to go practice and make my jump shot better. And that's what the Huskies need to do. I just hope we're not on the naughty list. Hmm. <laughs> what are you sipping on? Longboard? No, no. So oh. 50, we had to change it up a little bit and uh, get in a celebratory uh, mood, a, a fiesta, so to speak. So I'm having a modelo. Modelo. Um, nice. Yeah, especial. We, especial. Yeah, I had... Um, I bought a 12 pack yesterday because uh, my other co-host on my other podcast, Kyle came over and we watched the Seahawks game and we watched them score zero points. So we had more <laughs> beers than the Seahawks scored points. And that's uh that was fun. <laughs> How about you? Anything else? Oh, I'm, I got a Kua Bay IPA. Ooh, nice. Kona. Oh, look at Pretty you solid. breaking out the Kona. Yeah, dude. I, I like Kona. 
I honestly longboard is probably my favorite Kona though, just because it's so sippable. But they have some other good. Yeah, they have some other good stuff. I honestly like going to um like Kona Brewing Company in in Hawaii. Just they have a lot more options, obviously there that they don't they don't sell in in the continental U.S. I should say. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is one of their better ones that they they do sell in the continental U.S. I would say. All right, guys. Well, before we get into UW stuff, like general sports thoughts. I mean, obviously, like the Seahawks just sucked yesterday. <laughs> and you mentioned it, Justin. Scored zero points. Russ came back. I mean, Didn't not much great. to say other than I my my first thought is just that Russ really doesn't look that healthy or all that confident in in his finger right now. Um, so, I mean, it, whether or not they rushed him back too soon, whether or not Geno Smith is a better option right now, I think those are up for debate. And But um, we're definitely not seeing Russ at 100% right now. I mean, I think that's that's for sure. Yeah, I, it's pretty obvious. I mean, anytime, I, I can't remember ever seeing Russell Wilson like say, have the ball sail on him a couple of times throughout the game. Like He's generally so accurate. So it's obvious that the finger – is having some sort of negative impact on his throwing ability. Conditions weren't great either, but even right. even still, like we're used to seeing Russ perform top notch in adverse weather conditions. So, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow if you're a Seahawks fan and pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye on that one. I think nearly, nearly. I mean, you have to hope for a, a miracle, a hope and a prayer that somehow Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins miss another game and you can catch Arizona with a backup quarterback, Colt McCoy. But I think that's, I mean, that's not looking likely. So it's no. uh, uneasy times up here at Central. <laughs> or no, sorry, Lumen Field. We had quite a bit of hope going into this last game and I think it's just all gone. I did. Shattered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The defense played okay, but that was about it, I think. So Jamal Adams, shout out, you know, defensive player right. of the year, MVP. Got his interception. Um, got an interception. And he tied Vince Wilfork with three interceptions in his career. So hats off to Jamal Adams. <laughs> oh my God. Worth the money. <laughs> Worth the money. Big time. Uh, Justin, you went, to, you went to a cracking game over the weekend. How was I, that? I did. The experience was great. I loved going. Watching hockey is fun. Samantha was her first time ever watching hockey. Oh, uh, wow. What did she, she like? Never, she liked it a lot. Never... It was uh, very fast for her. Sometimes she couldn't. Yeah. And I sometimes I lost it too, but like the puck moves very fast, as you guys know. So it can sure. uh, it can be a lot, but it's fun. There's a lot of actions. There's no fist fights, unfortunately. I think she was looking forward to one of those. Um, <laughs> but she was surprised how, uh, I mean, maybe she wasn't surprised, but how often like uh, people got slammed into the boards, which is, you know, part of hockey. Yeah. Um, physical game. So it was great. Minnesota played really well. They had a lot of possession in Seattle's half, especially early on. And Seattle played a lot of catch up and had a lot of shots late, but Minnesota really dictated the game early. So yeah, Kraken have continued to struggle and I'm going to the game on Wednesday this, this week against the Blackhawks. So hoping that they can, start to turn start to turn this around and write this ship because it's been a pretty pretty tough go for the Kraken in their inaugural season it's a it's a fun experience though it really it is, is. it uh, is and, Isaiah I mean, Thomas came and pre you know was the nice. yeah he riled the crowd up that was really cool to see they played cool. the highlight of him against Arizona oh before, man uh, yeah to pop you know to hype up the crowd which is one of my as you guys know favorite highlights ever so oh yeah never gets old. epic 
Did, did you guys go to the alumni game? That one like, year? Yeah. Yeah, they only had it that one year because no, then it, everyone got in trouble because they, they were like, I don't, it had something to do with. Um, I think you had to pay to get in. Yeah, that might have been what it was. And I think and if it was pay. free, like a yeah, like an amateur exhibition or whatever, it would have been a problem. But I think they were charging like super cheap entrance fee, and that's right. what it was. But I yeah. just remember it came back and he hit the game like hit the same shot like they played it in unison or in sync with with him actually doing it and he hit it again like like it was nothing so it was just kind of cool um, to relive that that was like the most popping that I ever saw heckhead in my time at UW I have seen it more popping than that yeah but I mean because... that was that was crazy cool oh yeah it was awesome I mean they did a really good job with like the the theatrics of that too like introducing everyone in each corner and stuff of heckhead like that was yeah. it was just it was really well done it was it was a cool it was a cool thing i wish they would have been able to do it again but um super side note super off track sorry <laughs> you just said the <laughs> it game winner and that that popped in my head um i don't think there's probably much else just because sounders obviously still haven't played since our last episode, USMNT then... beat Mexico. I know that's Ooh. not Seattle news, but no, uh, gotta talk about it. It's, yeah, uh, no, that's Dosacero, yeah, baby. Near and dear to my heart. And the US, I mean, this is probably the most promising they've ever looked in our lifetime, honestly. Ever yeah. in the history of USMNT. Just so many young players that are good. Um, I mean, Christian Pulisic came on for the last 22 minutes and scored. Savage. Um, the whole shirt lift was just so Epic. savage oh, oh my god uh, so good and now that's three in a row that we've beat mexico and obviously we haven't done that i don't think either side has done that since 1937 in one calendar year right wow yeah um, 1937 to play three times in a calendar year to be fair but sure yeah, i mean we've that's owned- nuts though mexico i didn't even know we had a soccer team in 1937 to be honest <laughs> probably was pretty bad so yeah yeah probably true um it's really exciting i mean with the you know the 2022 world cup we're in a much much better position than we were last time qualifying we're looking pretty good along with mexico and canada looking really good for that and then you know 2026 you're thinking a lot of these players are 23 22 21 like four years from now they're going to be in the prime of their careers heading into a world cup hosted here and in seattle by the way so I, yeah it's just very exciting and so i just thought i'd mention that because near and dear to my heart are they gonna hoist the trophy on the homeland i, I think know. they legit could i mean i think they have a chance to be a top eight team in that tournament which is saying something which would be amazing i mean yeah they made a quarterfinal that would be amazing in a world cup are you kidding me they last did that in 2002 um, because in the last 16, they played Mexico and they beat Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you imagine being a semifinal in the World Cup? Oh. Like, be so lit. So when you say it's in Seattle, is it like, is it's the just final going to be in Seattle? No, or no, we no, just no, no. I doubt it. One of the host cities. I, I imagine yeah. Seattle would host like one of the quarter quarterfinal games. Yeah, they the they probably have the final in like, like Vegas, New York, or... Vegas, LA, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, probably the new LA stadium or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be. But wild. nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, nonetheless, 
something to look forward to for sure. One of the few things we've had to look forward to. I know that's the one of the positives before. We so, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Justin. We, we need some, we need some optimism here, but let's go ahead and dive into the Huskies here. And obviously this is going to be the bulk of our episode. Quickly, we can recap that Arizona loss. I mean, the coaching staff changed, but the game did not really, as far as just like how the game trended, it was a lot of the same, um, Got off to a really hot start. You know, you get off, get off to a 14 to zero lead. We're all texting each other. <laughs> like, look at these guys. <laughs> Junior <laughs> Adams is a pretty good play caller. Hall of Famer. And then the scripted plays went, went, went away and everything went to shit after that, basically uh, offensively. Yeah. So true. Um, general thoughts from, from that game, guys. I know that we got to see a little bit of Sam Heward. I know Sam in particular, you have some thoughts about that um, and the, and the opportunities that he had. Um, thoughts on the quarterback position, on the on the wide receivers and their play, on on the defense and s- continued struggles against the run. Um, it, for me, it was just a lot of the same. So I'll I'll let you guys speak on on if you have anything that you think is worth bringing up. Yeah. So for those that didn't get a chance to watch the game or don't know what happened, we ended up losing to Arizona State, thirty-five to thirty. And it really was a game that we had no business losing, to be honest. Um, They scored 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's pretty unheard of, but uh, only the 2021 Huskies would find a way to lose that one. So that's a pretty brutal way to lose. I think just another tidbit on the way that we opened, I think, you know, obviously was a, a breath of fresh air with the play calling on those scripted plays. And I think it gives you an indication of what, someone other than John Donovan or, you know, an offensive coordinator without having Jimmy Lake meddling into the play calling or, or the game plan on the offensive side of the ball could do. I mean, the first two series, you had great misdirection plays. You had counters off of jet sweep motions. You got the ball out quickly to the flats, to your playmakers and Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze. And so you know, there's only so much that you can do in four or five days time as you know. And so it's hard to judge junior Adams over the entirety of the game. You're not going to make sweeping changes, but I felt the way that we started offensively was really promising in terms of what junior Adams could accomplish in that short period of time. Really, you're only going to be able to have a huge impact on the scripted plays. And then once you get into the game, it's kind of what's already been installed by your predecessor. So I think it was a breath of fresh air for at least a quarter defensively. I think we played three super solid quarters and got worn out in lots of sloppy missed tackles, sloppy run fits and Arizona state just abandoned the pass, ran the ball and Dylan Morris, super inaccurate throws a pick six and pretty much game's over at that point. So that was brutal. I do think the other thing that you mentioned is the quarterback. We went in with a two quarterback plan. I think the plan was to give Sam Heward every third drive, which I just think is an idiotic way to do it first. I mean, just putting the whole like Sam Heward conversation on the sideline for a minute, like regardless, if you're going to go with the two quarterback plan like at least give them a half each or something like let them build momentum if you look at how they you know call it 
chalk it up to the scripted plays running out if you want, but really where the tides turned on offense was when Sam Heward came in with his back against his own end zone. I mean, that kills any momentum the offense has offense had with Dylan Morris in there. And so it's like, I've been clamoring and banging my head on the table for Sam Heward all along, but I think doing it that way is really choppy and it kind of kills a lot of momentum. So I, I thought doing it that way was dumb to begin with. And then I think just opening it up to your thoughts on just a complete shit show. It's been around managing personnel with Sam Heward in particular, like he's got one game left of his red shirt. I know Bob Gregory came out at the end of the game in the post game press conference and said like, there's no plans to take his red shirt off and he's only going to play in one more game. Uh... And so it's like, we've got this far and he's really had no outside of what do you have? Maybe three drives in this game. Three or four, three or four outside of those. He's really had no legit, snaps i mean he played a bit in the arkansas state game when that was out of control and arkansas state is terrible he played the one drive against arizona and then he played a little bit in this last game and so it's just like the learning opportunities and the growth opportunities that you want to give him if you are going to play him it's just been completely mishandled and i think that's just you know one indication of the mismanagement of the entire season and the entire team. But I felt like the way that we did it and where we're at now in terms of Sam Heward's development as a freshman is, is really just a travesty. I don't know if you guys feel, I I imagine you feel similarly, but curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think you put it really well. I mean, we scripted a bunch of plays Dylan Morris, you know, and the Husky offense started off really well. You know, we put in Sam Heward in the shadow of our goal line. Couldn't really do much. He had one, he had a couple drives, right? He had that drive. I think he had three drives on the game. That drive, um, a drive near the end of the first half, which didn't go anywhere. And I think started on like, again, here in our inside our own 10. And then the third drive, I was at the cracking game at this time, but I texted you guys the drive and it was literally like eight or nine straight runs for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, and so now we're three games into four games in, and he's had three, two drives from inside the five, not scripted for him. One with all runs, an Arizona game that it was basically all runs and one pass attempt, and then the Arkansas State game. And so, you know, we've used three games, but I feel like he hasn't actually had any meaningful reps. Maybe you could argue the Arkansas State game, but outside that, like we haven't yeah. given him a fair shot. And so if we know the season is lost, like why not to your point, give you a full half or at least yeah, script him some plays and some drives rather than just chucking him out there and see what happens. It's, it's just total mismanagement. Just like we've seen from the play calling to the strategy of the team, to the, you know, prowess comments, you know, every, <laughs> everything about this season has been mismanaged and including the quarterback position and, I don't know what they keep seeing to throw Dylan Morris out there. I, I get that we don't want to burn his red shirt or whatever, but I mean, it's O'Brien that terrible, honestly, like, I, 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 is he that bad where he would throw interceptions left and right and be the worst graded quarterback in the pack 12 or be one read pony, one read trick pony. I, I don't know. It, it's very frustrating. And 
it just doesn't give me hope that the answer is on this roster. Obviously. Yeah, it's 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 baffling. Yeah, it, I mean, I just go back to like the fact that they were they were practicing and they were splitting first team reps at practice. Right. You have to think that in the coach's mind, they're trying to get an accurate representation or an accurate um, quarterback battle, basically, and be able to compare the two on Saturday and see how they see, see how they perform. And Sam Heward, like, like it's comparing apples and oranges because of the drives that Sam Heward got on Saturday. Like you can't even accurately like, yeah, you can't compare their performance. No at all. It's, it, it's just, it, it's mismanagement. Like you guys all, all said, but it's just, it's also just, I just don't get the point. It's not an investment. As, There's no return. There's nothing yeah. that we learned. No, no, you learn nothing about him because you you gave him two drives inside of his own ten yard line, which is just tough for any quarterback. Like that's right. tough, tough starting field position. And then the 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 drive that he does get good field position, you just choose to for him to hand the ball off the entire time. <laughs> so like, what what are you actually trying to learn about your five star quarter freshman quarterback if you're not going to like integrate him into the offense in some kind of way that you can accurately like see what he can do <laughs> can i can i ask you guys a conspiracy theorist question yeah i love it do bob gregory and junior adams you you think they would but do they totally have sam heward and UW's best interests at heart for the at future point, i should say for the future not just junior adams year. maybe Bob Gregory, I don't, I, he probably doesn't care that much at this point. Like, I, 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 like, I, I think they're trying to win. I'm not trying to say that, but like, sure. do they have UW's future best interests at heart versus like Greg, Gregory wouldn't junior Adams might just like, he's one of the assistants that might, or the position coaches that might end up sticking around or he, he's at least like, he's a possibility to stick around. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's hard to know. Right. I mean, like, realistically they both probably see the writing on the wall that a new regime is coming in they're probably not going to be staffed as a husky coach next year and so you are kind of in this you know conspiracy hat place as a fan like if they don't really care do they just burn his red shirt or do they do the next regime a solid and be like no like we'll retain his red shirt and give the next regime you know, four full years of eligibility. Like it'd be interesting to get thoughts on the inside from someone, like how those conversations take place or like how those decisions are made. And also I think probably the real question there is how involved is Jen Cohen at this point and how, how involved is she in terms of like, yeah, we're, we're redshirting Heward. You guys are not playing him. Yeah. Beyond one more game. And so I think maybe at the same time, like even if that's the case, I just have a huge issue with how they've used him. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I'd say that's a huge, it's definitely a factor in why Jimmy Lake got fired, (laughs) which sure, you know, it's a factor. Yeah. It's It's definitely one of them. And it's a factor. If Jen Cohen is really the person that has the future of Husky football as like, priority number one if i'm the ad i'm i am putting those handcuffs on 
the coaches and saying like, you're not exhausting his eligibility this year. And so the way that I would like to see it played out is don't play him against Colorado. And then if we lose, we're not going to a bowl game, play him the the entire apple cup, try to win that. The timing wise, that's probably going to be really close to when a new head coach is announced. So if Sam Heward, your future quarterback wins the apple cup, you're naming a new head coach. You kind of are building some of that momentum into the off season, the best that you can. Like, I don't want to see him play against Colorado. I think it would just be this, this at this point, like I want to give him a full game. Yeah. And I think the only way that plays out is if we lose to Colorado and then have one game to play, put him in for the whole time and let him go. So I don't know. Here's a follow-up question to that then, Sam. Would you prefer them to lose against Colorado, not make a bowl this year so that you can have Sam Heward in the Apple Cup? Or would you rather try to make a bowl this year and build some momentum and going into next year? Uh, you, could, you, could, you, could, you could end the season on three straight wins. And Justin's made this analogy before with the 2015 and 16 team. Yeah. I think the difference, though, is a whole new coaching staff is coming in anyways. Yeah. Yep. And so, like, to me, the real allure besides just building momentum into the next season is the additional practices that you forfeit if you don't make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that has really – I don't think it matters at all at this point in yeah. where Husky football finds itself. So really what I want to see is I want to see Sam Heward play one full game and I want to see us win the Apple Cup, and I honestly don't really give a shit what else happens beyond that. Justin, if, he makes an appear- if he makes an appearance against Colorado, I want him to play in the entire game. None yeah. This, yeah. You know, of course. Right. Yeah. Like, but I mean, likely won't happen. So exactly. No, that's the problem. No, no. I think, I think what you said, Sam is, is exactly what would make the most even, sense. Even, even if we beat game. Colorado, I want to see Sam Heward play the entire Apple Cup. Yeah. Sure. And then don't play him in the bowl game. Let, right. Play. Yeah. And, yeah. So, let him, let him try to go get you into a bowl. Right. And then, yeah, if you get into a bowl, then let, Dylan Morris Let Patrick plays O'Brien play. Game, or Dylan Morris plays final game at UW. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, o- O'Brien would pl- probably be playing his like final game of college, wouldn't he? Right. That too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let I him don't play. know. He he. I think he has one more year of eligibility if he wants to. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, at this point, this this conversation is kind of small potatoes to me. Like, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to keep going on this. No, but. no, I I don't mean it in that way. It's just like. For me, I'm solidly in the camp at this point that you, that you need to just like retain Heward's red shirt by any means necessary and give the next regime four years of eligibility. Even, you know, we talked about it's unlikely that if Heward's as good as we think he is, that he's going to be around in 2025, but at least give the next regime the opportunity and leave that door open. I think at this point, in, in terms of this conversation around Heward, and playing this season, like that's the only thing I care about is, you know, keep his red shirt at this point. It wouldn't make sense to burn it. So sure. It'd be nice to, as, as we wrap up this game, just to like allow 150 yards in the ground, not like 250. <laughs> it's bad. Man. Yeah. Like 
it'd be nice to like make the other quarterback throw on a you know down with two minutes left in the fourth quarter down by three and they can just run the ball into the end zone that's just foreign concept to me yeah that's crazy (laughs) sam like I, i know you mentioned that like it was kind of a a trend of like we wore out in the fourth quarter and that's when they really started like committing to the run but like they were running on us before that. They just didn't really commit to the run. Yeah. If if they if they had been if they had started running in like the second quarter, that could have gotten ugly way quicker, probably. Um, just the way I our run like our run defense is broken. It's bad. And yeah. It's, it's all scheme and philosophy at this point. Like that just because you have good players. You have good players at those positions. Besides, I guess one, but yeah. even he's <laughs> even he's graded out well on PFF, and I know that we PFF talked about that does, PFF yeah, doesn't I know what they're. I mean, he's not but, bad enough to be this bad in the run defense. No, like yeah. it's, I mean it, and the fact that you can't you you can't get any kind of because of the way that they scheme, you can't get any kind of push on from the defensive line to like you see no tackles for loss in the run game. Yeah, from a defensive lineman. Because they're not being coached to attack and disrupt. No, they, they're, they're being coached just to like fill a gap. To occupy a gap in blockers. But yeah. they're not Vita Vey or a great game. So they can't do that as well as those guys did, which is when this defense really worked at its peak was when you had those guys clogging the middle. Yeah. Because they could occupy space. They could occupy blockers. They're both huge. Vita is just like a monster in that 2016 season. So yeah. It's it's infuriating. It's frustrating, but we don't have to talk about it anymore because I know we have talked about it. We've talked about it quite a bit, and we have a lot of other topics to cover tonight. So, um, wrapping up the ASU loss, I know that there was some that that targeting penalty against Race Porter is the one that got really, his head chopped off. Man, I don't understand how they don't even like review that. Yeah, it's like the dude's helmet flew five yards off. Yeah, because you he would got think hit that, that would head. be a trigger to you know just at least take a look at it. They review all that that shit all the time too, even when it's not even that close. I know, and they didn't review it. Well, I, I thought they did it twice in this game. So when Dylan Morris got popped, I think it was in the second quarter. In it, oh, in his own when he end got up zone. really slow. Yeah, granted, he didn't get hit in the head, but it was an no, it was obvious, in like the chest. obvious launch, ducked the head. Mm. initiated contact with the crown of his helmet into a defenseless player's chest. Like mm-hmm. that is both of them to me were like the epitome of what the targeting penalty is. And neither of them even got a review, which is just blow. It's like this, this PAC 12 ref crew wasn't even coached up on what they don't even know what targeting is. If you're not yeah. reviewing either of those. Right just blows me away and like obviously the one on race porter is huge because that's a that turnover on downs and yep. he almost got that actually <laughs> he almost picked that up yeah, yeah. the yard short yeah yeah but pretty yeah, bad it was game. frustrating it was, a, it was a frustrating <laughs> game for sure yeah. um and in all facets really but we have a we have some we have some news this week, and I know that we've already teased it. And obviously, unless our listeners are li- are living under a rock, they they know that Jimmy Lake has officially been let go and relieved of his duties, as I think Jen Cohen put it in her press conference. Yeah. 
Um, and that was Sunday that that happened. So yesterday, as we're recording this on a Monday night. Uh, so we have two huge coaching firings in the last last week and a half or week, I guess, basically, right? Yep. With John Donovan being let go, and then Jimmy like a, a week after that. What were your um, what were your general thoughts, I guess, about like Jen's press conference, and then obviously just your reactions to the to the firing? I mean, I think all of us probably thought it was coming um, sooner rather than later, but we just didn't know when it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, how did you think Jen? I guess, portrayed herself in the press conference. How did she handle that press conference? And then uh, what are your reactions to the decision being made? Yeah. I mean, I think Jen handled it fine. I mean, she was definitely handled it like a politician. Didn't, you know, used a lot of words to not say too much, which I think is (laughs) really smart to do that, both in terms of the reasons behind the firing and in terms of some of the poking and prodding questions around what the next steps look like in terms of hiring an, another coach. I like that she's going to try to hold it close to the vest. So I think she looked, she's fine the way that she presented herself for sure. I think she did, did a good job, but what I read into it more than anything is, you know, on the lunatic fringe on Twitter and everybody, you know, uh, like yes. Questioning you done bringing up John Wilner tonight. Yeah, always. And just like question, there's been a lot of people, question and i think we have alluded to it on this podcast as well is how important is winning football to the university of washington and i think this answers that in a magnificent way in a very intentional way that you don't you don't fire a coach after 13 games if if you don't care about winning football and if you don't care about putting your money where your mouth is. And that's the part that I think is really key here is, you know, there was a lot of question marks around whether or not we were going to go the fire for cause route or like use that as negotiation leverage and try to lower his buyout. I think they probably investigated that route. Right. Yeah. But I think the fact that we're going to pay out his entire buyout based on the contract written up so i think that there's probably some offsets meaning if lake gets another job and is earning money right. there that's money that uw no longer has to owe him it'll probably still end up being a six or seven million dollar buyout though yeah for sure and so i think my biggest takeaway from a you know ten thousand foot view is that this is a, a very blatant decision that's made in the name of winning football games at UW and to Mm -hmm. make and to expedite the process. Like this could have very easily carried over for another year into 2022. The hole gets dug deeper and deeper. And now UW is less of a, you know, appealing job for future candidates. So I, that's, that's my biggest takeaway from it is that Jen Cohen had the support of upper campus and university of Washington administrators to pull the trigger on this in a quick way and act swiftly and also do it really the right way. I think, you know, nobody really loved how Jimmy Lake handled the sideline incident with Ruparaki Fuavai, but we all probably agree that that would be a little of a little bit of an overreaction to fire for cause over that. Mm -hmm. I think, 
Yep. And so yep. I think that how this is all unfolded is Jen Cohen's made a statement that she and the university care about winning football games and they do right by their contractual obligations. And I think what's really important about that is the message it sends to potential replacement candidates that one, we want to win. And two, we're not going to screw you over. And we, you know, have integrity and do business the right way, because I think a lot of other schools probably would have handled that situation differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just think about not to pick on Wazoo or a smaller power five school, but you know, coaches have gone worse than seven and six in their first 13 games and yeah. stayed and kept their job. Right. And so it's the culmination of factors, right. It's probably the recruiting, the incident, how he handled the Oregon week, um, losing to Montana, tactics, losing to Montana offensive coordinator, hires slash stubbornness slash ego, right? Like all those things I'm sure played a factor yeah. in his undoing. And, you know, Jimmy Lake, it, it's really a shame because, you know, we can say it was a mistake and all that, but I mean, there, he was one of the most coveted coordinators at the time in 2019, when we hired him, it's tough how it worked out. Right. Because he's, you know, you could argue he's like, is he an elite defensive coordinator? He's clearly a good one and an elite defensive backs coach. He's yeah. going to go somewhere else and learn and become a better coach because of this. And it's just, it's a shame that it can't happen at Washington. And especially after the suspension, there's just no way you can come back from that and go on the road and recruit and go to tell parents like, Hey, yeah. come coach for me. Like, yes, I made a mistake. Yes. I pushed players. Yes. I can't do, I can't win, but yeah, you know, come this university of Washington. It's the greatest setting. Come here. Like it's not going to work. Yeah. And so it's, it's the right decision and it's the right time to part ways. And I think one of the most damning things that has come out or come to light in all of this, and Connor, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on it, is because through this whole thing, Connor, you've been the most critical of Jimmy Lake in terms of, you know, smartest man in the room syndrome, big mm -hmm. ego, overconfidence, used car salesman. Like you, I think, of the three of us have been at the forefront of that. And what screams the smartest man in the room syndrome more than not have not maintaining a relationship with Chris Peterson. And that's come to light that he completely closed that line of communication off and he did not seek counsel at any point from Chris Peterson. That is asinine to me how that happens. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, like, obviously that fits in with your narrative and your gripes with Lake as a coach throughout the whole season but I think that is just like unbelievably dumb in my opinion. Yeah. And I don't think this is going to be the last thing that we hear about Jimmy's ego ultimately being his downfall yeah. in this particular coaching situation. I mean, whether it's him not seeking out Chris Peterson, which yeah, like you said, is asinine, super foolish. Like, I mean, you have one of the greatest college football coaches in your backyard at your door yeah for you to seek knowledge and you don't like how how can you how can anyone think that you're actually taking your job seriously if you're not willing to learn from the best or take advice yeah. from the best so that's crazy um obviously his decision decisions revolving around John Donovan and and that hiring um i think he i mean he was 
he was trying to prove everyone wrong and that like he was the smartest man in the room and that he knew better when everyone, everyone was against that hire. Yeah. Besides Jimmy Lake, but he was the one that mattered. So it's like, uh, what does Jimmy see that nobody else sees? Not a lot. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy talk. And then you go back to recruiting. Sam, you brought a really, really interesting point that I think you should share with the audience as well. And I think his ego goes into that as well. Yeah. And so basically what's come to light is I don't know what the exact medium or, or forum it took place, but it's been reported that Jimmy Lake has said something of the sort that recruiting at university of Washington was an annoyance in that he didn't, it did not seem important to him to get the best recruits and that he was focused and fully confident in his and his staff's ability to develop any level of talent into good players. And that's just, that's, that's not the name of the game in college football. It never has been. It never will be. Recruiting is the backbone of success, of consistent success. And to think like that was one of the things, Justin, you mentioned like back at the time he was given the job, that was one of the things everyone was really excited about was sure. Jimmy Lake had been one of our hottest recruiters and landing some of these big fish out of high school. So we thought, you know, <laughs> we got it so backwards because we thought that was one of the areas that Jimmy Lake could up level and go beyond what Peterson was able to do. And I think in hindsight, you look back and it's pretty obvious that Peterson had a heavier hand in closing the deal and recruiting than we ever knew at the time, which, you know, a humble leader probably deflects a lot of that attribution of success to his, team and his staff around him and maybe jimmy lake was getting credit for things that chris peterson was really closing the door on and so i think that's just it's horrible i mean you can't have that mindset in college football at all and think that you're gonna have any success at all i think that got peeled back a layer deeper too where like they made conscious decisions to give up in the recruiting battles for some high profile targets. You know, I think you can make an argument in some cases, that's a good thing. Like don't waste resources somewhere where it's obvious they're not gonna, they don't show mutual interest in UW, but in a lot of ways, it's still dumb. And in today's day and age of- It's cowardice. Well, yeah, it's definitely cowardly and you're quitting, you're giving up, anything can happen. And in today's, day and age of college football with transfer transfer portal free agency there is value in finishing number two or number three the first time around look at jacob eason and chris peterson chris peterson recruited that guy to uw till the end and he's like no sorry coach peterson i'm going to georgia uw was the obvious number two and it didn't work out in georgia and so he comes back around to number two but if peterson had taken jimmy lake's philosophy and just nope we're done we're not doing that we're not we're not going to recruit somebody who isn't showing that mutual love or whatever those those people aren't going to come back around to UW and we've seen it pay off for us before in the past and it's just like that's it that is like arguably half the job is just to fucking recruit well get yeah. good players yep so I mean it, it is I think 
going back to Jen Cohen's press conference, you know, the one thing that she continued to repeat was it was, you know, a multitude of factors leading to the decision. And I think we've covered the, the big ones. I think obviously just performance on the field and losing games that we had no business losing like Montana, obviously she had a pulse on the recruiting. I think the way that Jimmy Lake abandoned Chris Peterson probably didn't sit too well with Jen Cohen, who as an athletic director still takes a ton of counsel and had mentioned that she will be looking for Chris Peterson's blessing on the next head coach. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that that did not sit well with her at all either. So, I mean, I don't, I've never seen somebody spiral a program down like this before from where it was. I mean, in less than two years, it, it was, you have to try to be that bad in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, Justin, Justin mentioned, uh, uh, a, a word that Jen also mentioned in her press conference that it's just really disappointing that it obviously turned out this way because none of us saw this coming. Right. None of us predicted any of this to happen. Um, and we're dragging him through the mud right now, obviously. But at the same time, like Jimmy Lake did a lot for this program. And we yeah. do need to, I think, just mention that on this podcast that um whether especially from that player development standpoint that Sam obviously he, he he believes in his talents to be able to develop players and especially whenever he was a secondary coach yep here uh I mean we were churning out talent in that room and recruiting great talent yeah. in that room yeah and still are but like I mean those th- that was the heyday of that group though was probably like during those three three or four years that he was kind yeah. of a DB coach and, and, and uh, the defensive coordinator on that side with PK. So um, obviously appreciate what Jimmy did during those years. Um, he obviously doesn't have the maturity level to be a head coach right now. I don't think um, mm-hmm. at least not at a big program like Washington. Um, but I do wish him the best. I, I think he's going to land on his feet. He's obviously, he knows football. Yeah. Um, he's, he's got a proven track record of developing, um, developing players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So he's, I mean, he's going to get a really good DC gig. He'll probably go to the sec or something like that. And he's going to be fine. And he's got a healthy buyout right now too. So I don't, I don't really feel bad for him, but at the same time, I do wish him well in the future. And it's really, it is really disappointing though, that it didn't, it didn't work out here. Cause I think, we're probably going to look at this in like five or 10 years. And Jimmy, Jimmy Lake maybe does learn some things from this experience and his experiences over the next five to 10 years. And he might end up being a pretty good head coach. And it's like, man, we had that, we had that here, but he just wasn't ready for it. So hopefully we don't look at it that way because we already have a good thing going, I guess. But, um, but I just, I just wanted to at least, bring up that we should we should appreciate his accomplishments here at Washington because they shouldn't go unnoticed yeah that's a really good point and it really is just it's a sad way for it to end for sure but again I think it's really indicative of where the importance of a winning football program is in terms of where Jen Cohen's head is at where our president of the university's head is at and I think if you're a Husky fan you should feel really good about what making this decisive act taking this decisive action means for the future of Husky football. And we, we may or may not get the next hire. Correct. I mean, really hope that we do, 
but just knowing the fact that administration is willing to put their money where their mouth is and act swiftly is is so hugely important and cannot be understated so using that as a segue unless there's anything else we want to cover here we can get no, into just the... build, yeah just building off that point i give jen a ton of credit for this decision yes. um arguably her toughest but probably it's hard to say a firing is the best decision but like it's just I... one of her most I, I think it's just one of her I don't, I just don't want to say, say best. I need to find a different word, but like, it's, it, you know what I mean? Like it's, I think it it's is one of the, her smartest moves. I, I think, think it is the, the number one move that she has made that a, that is a indicator of a very good athletic Correct. director. Good way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. I agree. So hopefully she can continue that yeah. and knock this, this I mean, next her job's on the line. Yeah. I mean, if she gets it wrong, she's yeah. probably gone. Yeah. So Speaking of which, how do we want to how do we want to tackle this conversation? Because this could go. Yeah, I think there's a lot of names floating out there at this point. Yeah. And I know I don't like, want to go straight to names. I, yeah, the, the way that I want to put it is like, what kind of coach are you looking for right now? Are you looking for like a proven head coach that um, is like a big splashy name for them to roll out the Brinks trucks and just get like the best guy that they can? Um, as far as like proven track record, do you want the up and coming guy that might be a little bit cheaper? You might have some more money then to play with for like assistance and stuff like that at that point. Um, or do you want some, one of the familiar guys? Do you want like a Justin Wilcox or, a or, or, a um, Jonathan Smith? Like, do you want one of those guys that's a little bit more familiar with the program and you could kind of continue the Chris Peterson tree? I know my thoughts, but I want to hear what your guys' thoughts. Justin, let's start with you because you haven't spoken in a little while. I have absolutely zero interest in unproven coordinators or people that have failed or done mediocre as a head coach. Mm -hmm. We need to build momentum. We need somebody that can spark the next era of Husky football. And I mean, I'll just throw out on my list and I know we'll get to our list in a, in a second, but guys sure. like Justin Wilcox, who's been a great defensive coordinator for, you know, the Huskies in the past and Cal as a head coach, that doesn't excite me. In my opinion, that is a pretty low ceiling because similar to Jimmy Lake, he would have to get an offensive coordinator to come run the offense. He hasn't shown he can do that at Cal. And yes, it's very difficult to coach at Cal, right? There's a lot of restrictions and, you know, you have to have a lot of academic prowess to go to Cal and et cetera. So there's a little bit <laughs> oh, of dif difficulties there. Uh, I'm one Modelo in, all right? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um I'm going to have to go get a rolling rock for this conversation. So <laughs> not, not interested in that persona, right? I want somebody that has proven that they can lead a team, fix a situation and maybe go to another situation and starting to improve that one as well. And so whether they've gone into a program as a coordinator and improved an offensive or defensive side, Sam, and then gone to a head coach or someone that's been a head coach multiple places and turned plays around. I'm looking for a coach to do that. And that includes the big wigs, you know, big time names that you hear all the time or up and comers that are hot names for a reason. Yeah. I think I'll take this and provide some more broad commentary on what I'm looking for. And I, I want 
the next hire to be a very clear CEO type hire. This is someone who commands a presence whenever they enter the room. They have the respect of anyone that has the pleasure to meet them. It really, I'm looking for someone very similar to Chris Peterson. If, if that person's out there, that's who I want. And maybe it's him. I don't well, know. Chris would, Peterson's would he come, unemployed. Would he come back? So, but what I mean by that is I want someone that runs the program, knows, is a very good people leader. And I think in college football, that manifests in two ways. The first is making very smart hires about the staff that you fill around you and allow them to do their job. I think that's one of the things that Peterson has done so well throughout his career is hire offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, position coaches, and let them do their thing. So it's first getting somebody that is going to be able to hire solid assistants around them. And then I think those people skills and leadership skills also translate really well to recruiting, getting Mm -hmm. someone that can go get the players both out of high school and in the transfer portal, keep the player, keep the good players that we have on the team. And that's really the most important thing to me at this point are those two things. Someone that can build a staff, a very strong top 10 caliber staff. And that's going to take money from upper campus and from the boosters to do that. And I think that we're in a position to make that happen, but who's the guy that's going to attract other coaches. Like who's the guy that we hire that all the up and coming rising assistant coaches in the world are like, I want to go to UW and coach and learn from that guy. And I want that. And I want someone that's able to go into the homes of these high school kids and convince them to come to UW and really bolster the talent level and keep the talent level high, which it has been at UW over the last five, six, seven years. So that's, that's the quality that I'm looking for. And I think that that can obviously come from someone who's proven and done it before someone like a Chris Peterson. There's some other names on here that fit that category as well, but that could also manifest itself in a younger up and coming star as well. Somebody that has those qualities and maybe isn't, I'm willing to take a little bit of a risk on a smaller sample size from an experience standpoint, if Jen Cohen feels like that person has the qualities that I just mentioned. Um, But yeah, I also echo the same sentiments. I'm not interested in retreads. Like I'm, I don't want someone like an Ed Orgeron or Tom Herman, like obviously using those two examples, I think there is an academically prowess filter put on this thing. Like, I don't think that there's any interest or appetite for someone that has off the field baggage. So I think you can scratch those names out off the top. Um, But yeah, that's kind of like my general thought process around it is I want somebody in a CEO position that can surround themselves with the right coaches and the right players. Yeah. I mean, I think just building on that, like the whole CEO type thing, which you are when you're a head coach is you trust the people around you and you're able to delegate the work in a good way that you trust the people around you. Um, so I, I totally agree with that sentiment. I, when I'm looking at this particular coaching hire, I'm looking at our team right now, and this is as much talent as we've had on a Husky team. 
in the last like 20 years. Yeah. From a blue chip ratio standpoint, if you're talking just like where they were at coming out of high school, if you're talking talent that way, it's as talented as we've been in the last 20 years. Um, and that includes that 2016 CFP team. So I don't want to lose all that to the transfer portal. So I think we, I think we need a name that's, it doesn't have to be the sexiest name, but it needs to be a name that these kids are going to believe in that they can, that they're going to stay basically. <laughs> like, I just don't want to see a mass exodus from this next hire is, yeah. is basically where I'm at. Cause I, what I'm going back to is that like you have a team right now put together that if you put the right coach and the right coordinators in place, you can win now. Like this could be a, like the quickest turnaround ever next year. We could be really good. If you, if you, if you nail this out of the park. Yeah. If you go with a young guy and there's a mass exodus, like tomorrow's never promised type thing. Like you don't know if you're going to get back up to this level as far as talent you hope. Yeah. And I mean, I think, if Jen makes that decision and she goes with like kind of a younger hot shot that maybe there is a bit of a mass exodus of players. She obviously has trust that like, there's going to be, well, it's better for the longevity of the program that she thinks that they can get back up to that level. But, um, can we, can I'm, we, yeah, Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But, I'll let you finish your thought. No, I, I, I was pretty much done. I just, I, I think I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, mold of that i want to see i want to see a guy that's done it in power five football before and i think that washington is a tra an attractive enough job that we should be able to hire that type of talent and apparently money isn't an issue because jen cohen said it wasn't an issue yeah. in her press conference so if that's the case it's not my money i want the best guy out there so let's talk about the best guy I think okay. we can go through these in like a couple different buckets, but I think the first one that would be the most fun to talk about is I think we should go around the room and list your, your top two or three okay. biggest hires, biggest splash hires that may potentially be unrealistic. Who would those names be? And then we can debate like whether or not we actually have a chance with that person or not. Sure. That are sure. like completely unrealistic. Yeah, like it could be Nick like Saban. Nick Saban? Yeah. <laughs> well, how about like, yeah, okay. I mean, okay, so I don't think I'm just Nick Saban's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you get the so gist. A, a guy that would be totally unrealistic, and I think a great coach, like a Brian Harson at Auburn, right? Was at Boise State, went to Auburn, is getting paid a lot of money in his first year there. I don't see him. I, I don't even necessarily think that's even on the top of my list. That's just been, like unrealistic yeah option right i mean luke fickle out of cincinnati um a team that he actually guess has outside the top four in the cfp for uh, now and, for now in the american athletic conference but cincinnati is moving to the big 12 and 23 24 i can't remember the year but 23 i think um he's rumored with a lot of the top jobs would he choose washington which is the third or fourth best job open uh, in the country or choose one of the other ones or stay at Cincinnati with a, you know, a decent roster. So that, that is one name that's thrown out there. That's unrealistic. Um, I think there are other realistic names that I have later that I won't want to, that I don't want to divulge yet. Divulge. And then the lastly unrealistic one, I mean, Chris Peterson, I would say, you know, yeah. people are throwing his name around the former UW coach. Will he come back and coach? Obviously he's in Jen's inner circle or 
trustees or whatever she wants to call them advisors um she he's one of them she even alluded that so so is he going to throw his hat in the ring and say you know jen i'll come back and do this for five or six years and you know turn this program around and you know have it on the back right track i don't know i think that's I an to, unrealistic so. i have to piggyback off of this because he's my number one choice okay and if i'm gonna go full unrealistic tin hat conspiracy theory here's just bear with me on this one Oh boy. You have to think where I need to fill up my whiskey first. Hold on. <laughs> All right. I where what I'm thinking would be ideal is, is there a chance that Chris Peterson doesn't feel great about how the handoff went down? I feel like Peterson with his track record at Boise state, I think leaving things better than he found it is very important to him. And you see when he leaves Boise State, he's got a succession plan in Brian Harson and the wings waiting, and that panned out really well. I think we all felt he had the same thing in place here with Jimmy Lake, and Jimmy Lake has crashed the Lamborghini in a magnificent way. So Hold is it. there so is there a part of Chris Peterson that I, I don't want to use the words feels responsible because I don't think he is in any shape or form responsible for where we're at. That's the true lunatic fringe people saying that bullshit. But I do think that there's a chance that Chris Peterson doesn't feel great at night sure. when he lays his head on his pillow about how that handoff went. So maybe there's an inkling of hope. Well, the devil's advocate would say, you know, well, Peterson left because he didn't want to deal with the transfer portal. He didn't want to deal with NIL. All of that's true. Is there an inkling of hope that maybe he's changed his tune on that because he is leading the effort at UW for the future of NIL opportunities for all student athletes? Maybe he's decided that he wants to be an influencer, an influential figure in shaping what NIL looks like in NCAA long term. And one way to do that is to do it the right way as the head football coach at a, you know, preeminent university a, a prestigious university so peterson would be my number one choice and really doubling down on the tin hatter theory here is building his next succession plan would kellen moore be interested in coming to be his offensive coordinator and coaching head coach in waiting no way, why not why not why not because, because he's already getting paid better in the NFL right now. Why would no, he? No, he's not. How much do you think he's getting paid? He's getting paid like $2 million this year, isn't he? Yeah, just about. You don't think that we could pay him $2 mil? As an OC? I think we could. We've paid, we've uh, paid defense. How much did Dim, Jimmy Lake make as a defensive coordinator in Peterson's last year? Two or three. I don't think he was making over two, but he was pretty damn close. Yeah. I, I'm just I saying, know, I told you, I put the caveat, I have my tin hat on, but if we're throwing meatballs down sure. the plate of what a home run hit would be, I think it would be Peterson back with a succession plan of Kellen Moore, because do you think if, he would take, would he take Wilcox at DT at defensive coordinator then shit? Yeah. If Wilcox wants to, um, I mean, Wilcox might get fired. Wilcox so. might just walk away and leave with all I think the, that's more likely with all the bullshit going on with, you know, the city of Berkeley and all that stuff around what they're putting that 
team through from a COVID protocol perspective. But I think my home run hit again, just, I feel like I'm repeating myself now, but I would think it would be the best scenario is Peterson comes back with some sort of new succession plan. And if you're not excited about having Peterson back from like a retread perspective, the caveat that I would add to it to sweeten the deal is Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator. I think the only thing that you could really debate about Peterson's downfall was his offense was old and stale and bringing in Kellen Moore, or maybe you get the second best option and bring Kirby Moore. I don't know, (laughs) but bringing somebody in with some offensive coordinator innovation would be, would be nice. So that's like my, you know, totally far-fetched way out there person. What about you, Connor? Yeah. I mean, hard to top. I know. (laughs) No, I love coach P. I know that I, I love, I, the dude brought us to the mountaintop. Um, I just feel like we need to kind of go in a different direction. Um, I, even in that 2019 season, the last season that Peterson was was the head coach at, at Washington, you could just tell that he had kind of lost a step a bit um, in, his, in his coaching. And Sam brought up like his offense seemed a little bit dated at that point. He seemed to not be really be in it emotionally as much as he was beforehand. And maybe he's re- he's rejuvenized now. And like I, if Peterson came back, I wouldn't say no to it, obviously. But I don't think he's my number one. My number one is about the sexiest name that you can have out there right now. And it's probably unrealistic. But I do know that he's been contacted by UW because they are exploring their options. And that's Bob Stoops. Ooh, big game, Bobby. Big game, Bobby. Uh, The guy that took Oklahoma to absolutely new heights um, in the early two thousands. And, um, I mean, he, he compiled a record of 190 and 48 over 18 seasons at Oklahoma. Uh, pretty good. None, none better than the 2001 orange bowl, which was the BCS national championship there. And I mean, he's building on your point of Peterson. He's, he's a pretty good friend of Chris Peterson. And they work together at Fox. And I know that Peterson basically liaisoned that meeting between Jen Cohen and, and Bob Stoops. And we don't know what this meeting was about. We don't know if it was to gauge interest. I'm sure that was the first question. But we don't also don't know if they were asking Stoops on who he thinks, like insight on who he thinks would be a good hire right. for mm-hmm. the next, next regime. But you talk about someone that, Obviously, it has instant credibility. Everyone would get in his corner, and all the players would be hyped to be able to play for Bob Stoops. And you know that guy can put together a staff, like an all-star staff. I mean, you're talking about as as expensive as it gets. But if Washington truly wants to make their mark, and by the way, the Pac-12 is up for the taking. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of this too, yeah. Might I add that, that... That, that's why this this job is so attractive too, is because the Pac-12 is there for the taking and you can really establish a national presence on the West Coast if you become dominant in the Pac-12. 
Oregon is trying to do that right now, but we can really shit on their parade, especially if Cristobal ends up leaving, which I think is going to happen in the next year or two. Could be so LSU. It's just, yeah, it's just a matter of time, I think. And yeah, could could be as early as this year. So um, I say, why not? I mean, it, Jen Cohen, like she, th- her job's on the line. Like she better pu- pull out all the pocketbooks for this one. And there's no more pocketbooks that you have to pull pull up for someone like Bob Stoops. I mean, that's that's as expensive as they get. But that's also, I think you you give him an offer you can't refuse, and you make him say no before yeah. you move on to anyone else. So I'll add this though, like I feel like mine was so unrealistic. I think that there's some real smoke here. There is, and yeah. I think that this is actually a possibility. Obviously, to your points, like you have to make him an offer that he can't refuse and if he I think does, it's a possibility I don't away. think it's likely is my 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 yeah camp. but I, yeah. I would agree but Continue. the one the one piece of information I want to add that I think makes this more likely than people may originally think is that the Chris Peterson talk kind of ends ar- around the concept that like you know he was burnt out he doesn't really have the fire to coach anymore type conversation people that draw that same parallel to Bob Stoops could not be more wrong. And here's why Bob Stoops was the head coach of the Dallas Renegades in the XFL in 2020. And he was very open about how he has still has the itch to coach and he needs to, he needs it to be scratched and I'm willing to scratch that itch, baby. (laughs) I don't care where it's at. I'm scratching that. So you're in the Bob Stoops, Bob Stoops camp then too. Yeah, I think Bob Stoops is the number one semi-realistic candidate. And I don't think that can be argued. Justin, do you have an argument against that? Um, I mean, not a good one. I think I, I, I agree largely with what both of you said. I think, you know, he is 61. Yes, he wants to scratch that itch. But like, are we talking about like a five-year itch? You know what I mean? Like, are we looking Probably. for like a program yeah. builder? I mean, he was at Oklahoma for what, 17 years? Like, are we looking to establish that level of dominance or is that unrealistic? And we just want the a Bob Stoops to come in and turn around the program, so to speak. So I think there's an argument that you have there. Um, no doubt that he would be a big time hire for you. Yeah. And that is the parallel that I would feel comfortable drawing between Peterson and Stoops is their succession plan. And so if Stoops is going to come in on like a five, six year deal, the last time he handed off the reins in Oklahoma, last I heard Lincoln Riley's doing okay. And <laughs> Oklahoma's so still okay, I guess. Yeah. They're decent. And so if Bob Stoops is a five-year deal and like, I have a lot of confidence in his ability to what I was saying earlier in terms of he is the kind of guy that the top assistant coaches in the country would want to come to Southern Alaska, Seattle and, <laughs> and coach for him. Mm-hmm. And so I think the realistic opportunity of having a very solid succession plan in five years under Bob Stoops is extremely attainable and something that we should expect. So I, I do agree. It's, it's a valid point, him being 61. But I think if you can, even if it's a five-year program with him, I think you still are fucking pumped as a Husky fan. Oh, how can you not be? I mean, this would feel like this, like I equate this to like when LeBron went to the Lakers and then started like 
getting his buddies to come to the Lakers after yeah. that. And guess what? Yeah. They won a championship. So if this ends in anything close to that, worth it. Yeah. Who worth are the it. last big like coaches to come that have had national success to the Pac-12? Pete Carroll. <laughs> and Chip Kelly. I mean, Chris Peterson. I mean, Chris Peterson. Peterson, not it, really national not success because we didn't yeah. we didn't win any of those bowl games. Really, I think it's Chip Kelly, Pete Carroll. Where was David yeah, Shaw? I mean, like, yeah, there's not like a big comparison, like Rich Rodriguez. You wouldn't say, you know, no, no, you know, like uh, Howard Edwards. No, I think it probably was a good coach, but like right, he's great, and coach, he's always but... been there. He was always there. I would say. Chip Kelly, probably for sure. For UCLA I'd, or for Oregon? No, for Oregon. For Oregon. Yeah. I would say Pete Carroll. And then after Pete Carroll, it probably goes back to Slick Rick Neuheisel. Went in Rose Bowls. Maybe. I guess my point is there haven't, there are not that many examples of Very big time point. coaches to go to the, the Pac 12. So I'd be really curious to find out. And the only reason, but given yeah, the like, right opportunity. I, I think that is realistic. The only reason I don't have him in my top five, if we go through top five lists, is I was thinking of like, if you have two axes, like, you know, best coach being a quantitative analysis and most likely, I just didn't think it was in the most likely. And that's the only yeah. reason I don't have him in my top sure, five. Sure. That's fair. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I think that would be a great We were still idea. in the dream scenario. The dream No, I agree. But I, yeah. I love, I would, great. And, do it. And I think have this Sam is, scratches itches, you know? I'm yeah. Down. I'll scratch. <laughs> but i think this, this, is a, weird, this, this is getting a little weird i know I'll, I'll cut it there but i think this is a really good point and a nice segue into going into some more of the quote-unquote more realistic names is justin's point is super valid when you look up and down the west coast or i guess taking a step back if you look at the top rising names in college football in terms of coaches geographically where are they located not on the west coast there's no up-and-coming talent on the West Coast. It's all the South, Southeast, a couple of Midwest sprinkled in there. And so it, it likely will have to be a scenario where we find a way to lure one of them out of the South and up to Seattle. And I think that's harder. That's a harder thing to overcome than I think people give credit for. So having that in mind and introducing some of the other names, how do we want to go about some of the more realistic names. I know Justin's been sitting on his hands waiting to like introduce his top five. And it sounds like there's going to be some surprise Easter eggs in there. So maybe we just start with that. I'm down. I think we could structure this in a top five. We go through the list and why we like them. And then you two express your opinion on why some names are good or why some names would be a total abomination and would be you know, a failure for this program. Sounds like you're volunteering to go first. (laughs) All right, I guess I can go first. And so, like I said earlier, you know, this is a likelihood and a good coach matrix and not saying like, so excluded from this list are candidates like a Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, who I didn't think was super likely to come to UW or sure. Matt Campbell at uh, Iowa State, who I think is a great coach, but I don't think would be super likely to come to UW. Okay. Okay. Number five. I disagree, but okay. 
Um, we'll have that discussion. Yeah, we'll let you go through your list first, and I'll try my best to keep my mouth shut until you get through your list. <laughs> I already disagreed, and even though you'd mentioned that someone's not <laughs> number five, I would say Kalen DeBoer, uh, Fresno State head coach. I think what he's done at Fresno State, obviously, he had success way back in the day, but you know, you could argue if that's even. Uh, if that counts at Sioux Falls yeah. as an NAIA coach, but he's started Fresno state a couple of years ago. Um, done a really good number on that, on that program is a really offensive juggernaut. And you have to look at what sells these days. Is it defense and offense and how are you selling recruits and program and fans and et cetera, to get that engagement. And it's frankly, it's just offense these days. And the UW offense is an abomination right now. And we have a five-star quarterback sitting there and look what he did with our great friend, Jake Hayner down, oh. at, down at Fresno state. He's turned him into like a four month or four week Heisman candidate down there yeah. in September. And they gave Oregon a run. And we both, we all agree that Oregon isn't the third best team in the country. Right. But they went to Autzen and gave Oregon a scare. They yep. beat UCLA, which is something UW can't do. They couldn't do this year. Yep. And they've given other teams fits. And yes, they've lost a few games. But I think you look for a program leader or someone that is really elite on one side of the ball. And I think that he's shown um, the ability to do those things in a short time at Fresno State. So that's number five. Number four, I have Kellen Moore. And I don't think this is like... Ooh, I love it. Ability-wise, this was high on my matrix, but likelihood, it was probably one of the lower ones. And so this squeaked into the list. I think this is a super, super sexy name. And you talk about attracting candidates. You have to think of what the age of some of these players are, and they're young, and they don't they might not necessarily know the success that a Bob Stoops has that you're recruiting. But Kellen Moore, that might be one of the first games they ever watched of college football is that Boise State or the Boise State game before Kellen Moore was there, and then that Boise State became a nationally recognized program, and he was the quarterback and et cetera. Yep. He's the offensive coordinator for the probably the most watched team. I'm not going to say America's team, the most watched team in NFL football, the Dallas Cowboys it's young can appeal to parents um, is modern with his offense. Um, obviously you can debate pros and cons, but I think that would be a very interesting. Obviously he has a mentor in Chris Peterson um, would hire a really experienced staff. So I think that would be a really, really good hire. Uh, number three, Billy Napier out of Louisiana. I think he has shown the ability to turn around a program as well as a lot of the same points that I had um, with uh, Kalen DeBoer. Um, I mean, seven and seven his first year, but 11 and three, 10 and one, nine and one at freaking Louisiana. He spent time under Nick Saban as a wide receivers coach, um, just like Mario Cristobal spent time under in Alabama as well, uh, learning the system, understanding what it takes to run a tight ship and a great program. I mean, 37 and 12 as a overall head coach is pretty fantastic. He's rumored with a lot of the jobs, even the LSU, which I don't think he would get, but I think he would be a really good coach um, and another offensive coach as well. And so I think he would be a really good fit at UW. Uh, number two, Chris Kleiman out of Kansas State. Um, Shit. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. So this is an older hire and something that I think uh, 
this is one of the ones that I didn't think you would like. And so I, I, I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts after I finish my list. Uh, started at North Dakota State. Obviously, that program is a powerhouse in the FCS, was able to recruit and out-recruit teams in the FBS at North Dakota State, and has gone to Kansas State and took over for, I don't know how he was still alive, but Bill Snyder, um, and continued to have success at that program. Was eight and five in his first year, COVID year at four at six, and this year he's back to seven and three and um, doing really well at that program and have the ability to be a leader on the field. And this is one that I'm not necessarily excited hiring more a defensive coach, um, but ability to lead a program and convince people to go to places that are not desirable, like Manhattan, Kansas, and wherever the fuck North Dakota. And so if he has the resources at UW and be able to be a culture leader and turn around a program and have success like he did and winning titles and winning national championships, it's a big thing for me and having that championship mentality. And so I think he would be a really good fit at UW. And then number one, and this is, you know, ability wise, probably the top um, near the top, but likelihood not, not necessarily. So it would be Dave Aranda out of Baylor we're rumored with their offensive coordinator, which is a joke because, you know, we're destined and we're UW, we should have higher, higher uh, standards. But look, I mean, he's had a lot of coaching jobs at many different destinations throughout the years, but he's gone to Baylor. I think he just started last year. Didn't have a good year last year, but completely turned the program around this year, eight and two, just knocked off Oklahoma and looked good doing it. Um, completely culture change for that Baylor team who have had up and down years and a lot of instability after the Art Bryles years and just you know and part of the LSU team as well that was you know had that great defense of a lot of NFL pros and has ties out to coached at Utah uh, Southern Utah and Hawaii and Utah State and so is familiar with the West Coast and the recruiting patterns but can also reach into the Texas market where he's coached at Baylor and the Southeast as well where he's had ties as well so I think he could be a national recruiter as well as that selling point of being at program changer and a leader of men and so those are the the qualities clearly I'm looking for is either a great offensive mind or a leader of people and a leader of men with a championship mentality, which he had at LSU. So those are the top picks. I would love to get your reactions, both good from my list and some that um, have you questioning. So I'll open it up to you guys. Yeah. I mean, hard to argue with Dave Aranda, I think for all the points that you mentioned. I think the one thing that I'll also add to his resume that I think is a really impressive thing is, you know, we, we all, I think, hold the belief that Jimmy Lake hiring John Donovan as his offensive coordinator was really kind of the nail in the coffin, to be honest. And that's something that Aranda has proven to get right. And he didn't get it right his first year. I don't, I forget who his offensive coordinator was last season but it was obvious that it wasn't working out. And he again acted swiftly, made a coaching change and he hired Jeff Grimes and that offense has been fantastic this season. So I think showing the ability to identify the right components to bring into the coaching staff is really impressive, even though it's obviously a small sample size. And to your point with a lot of these names, again, going back to what I was mentioning around geographic regions where they're familiar with coaching to your point you've obviously done your research Aranda has ties to the west coast through his previous um, coaching stops 
I think the fact that he was at Hawaii for a good number of years, he was there for three four, or four seasons. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's a well-known person on the islands and that's a huge part of success in terms of university of Washington football throughout history is recruiting the islands. Well, um, West coast guy born and raised in California as well. So I like that pick a lot. I appreciate you having Kellen Moore on there. I feel pretty similarly. I don't think that that's very realistic, but one thing that you've also failed to mention, I, I know you know this, but you just didn't mention it is he's a local kid for those that don't know. Mm-hmm. He went to school high school and at Prosser to a school in the Yakima Valley and had unprecedented success there. He actually beat my alma mater, Archbishop Murphy, two years in a row in the state, in the state finals and state semifinals. Um, so maybe there's a pull for him to come back into the Northwest and be closer to family. His wife is also from Prosser. So I think that there's a little bit of a realistic pull there. And then one of the things that I really do like about Kellen Moore is that's someone that's actually going to fucking listen to Chris Peterson. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You would think. (laughs) And it's a great point. Yeah. It's a huge point. I mean, I can't whoever it is like that's another thing that i would add to my list is like whoever does come here needs to be humble enough and take advantage of the opportunity that peterson presents still being around and still being involved you have to utilize those resources and i think kellen moore would i think dave aranda would most (laughs) most reasonable people would take advantage of that yeah um so that's kind of my, my immediate reactions. I was going to go in on your, your Chris Kleiman one, but I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll leave that one for Connor to get after. Who? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to smack talk it too much. I mean, he had unprecedented success at, at North Dakota state, but. It just, it would be a very, I don't know. It would be a pretty underwhelming hire. I think for me, I just, I don't think that there's enough name recognition there. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like way too much in that camp of like name recognition, but I just think that's really important for the program right now. As because far everyone as... knows who Kalen DeBoer is nationally, right? Well, they probably the know West him. Coast, they do probably know him better than Kleiman. Yeah, along the, the West Coast, state coach over. I mean, I'm not, who cares about the West Coast? I They're mean, very that's similar. What all of our recruits are. They're very similar. They both have had unprecedented success at super small schools at a lower division. Sioux Falls. I don't give a, I don't give a shit if a 17 year old in Georgia has never heard of our coach. I care if a dude from California has heard of our coach. I don't think some people in California know who Kalen DeBoer is. Well, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. I'm sure that California is not exactly, you know, the template. I mean, he's also, he's also football. not my top choice. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, that, I, I, I applaud you for bringing another name to the table, Justin. And, you know, if you end up being right, then we'll all pat you on the back. I'll be disappointed in the hire probably, but maybe, maybe he's good. Maybe he's good. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the only one I think. I, I do think Matt Campbell's more realistic than you're, you're giving it credit, though. I think it's 0.001% chance. Why? There's no way he's leaving. It's it's an arguably better job at Washington. I think it's very debatable. Number one, the Big Twelve is folding. It's not. 
basically. Well, literally, it's not. No, but But you lose Texas and Oklahoma. Like, it's not going to be the same. Of course it's not, but it's not folding. Um, He's making more than UW will probably pay its next coach, minus Bob Stoops. Hold on, what'd you say that again? I mean, if we're we're willing to pay Bob Stoops, we can – we could give Matt Campbell more money. I don't think we would pay more Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell more than he's making at Iowa state. And I, what is he how much six? is he making? Uh, I think he's rumored 4. to get 6? a raise. I think he's four point something and he's either going to get a raise. I think rumored at like five point something. This year. We can do that. No problem. Yeah. We could offer him six or seven. Easy. You have to Not remember easy. in 2019, we were spending over $10 million on our coaching staff and Chris wow. Peterson was making damn near five mil. Well, we yeah, can pay. Chris Peterson was making five, but we were paying assistance. Jimmy Lake was making 1.3, I think. And then we had Pete Bukowski and all of the bunch of other assistants as well. Um, I also think that Washington is a more attractive job than Iowa State. Oh, for sure. A little biased, but like. No, it's I'm not even sure. close. It's not even close. It is close. I mean, no, you guys have not. purple. Seattle and Ames? It, no. Dude. With okay. all the talent that's coming out of Washington right now, too, like if he could hold, like he he has built a decent program in Ames, Iowa, mm-hmm. at Iowa State. He has. Who has like they've been irrelevant for like ever, ever. What could he do at Washington with that? With that kind of with those kind of resources. With with the city of Seattle with all the opportunities there and the recruiting basis that we have all along the West coast, all that talent along the West coast, not to mention Texas that we've been pulling and the Polynesian islands. Like here you go. Iowa state all time record is at a 45% win percentage. Mm -hmm. They've got a whopping one division title and two conference titles. The conference titles, I don't even know what conference that was in because it was in 1911 and 1912. Compare that to a historically top 25 program and the University of Washington is winning over 60% all-time games. We've got you know a multitude of claimed national championships, 17 conference titles. I mean, come on you're not seriously making the argument that Iowa state is a comparable job to UW. You're doing this for entertainment value. Just say it how it is. <laughs> you're going to lose a lot of credibility to the listeners on this. Oh, wow. I don't think we have to go for intelligence, Sam. I don't think that's the point of a podcast, but I think I'm that... not going for intelligence. I'm just saying like, there's no way that you can in your heart of heart, believe that. I don't think Iowa State is to the caliber of UW. I think you guys you. think UW is a way better program than it is. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just I saying, think I'm, Oregon is an infinitely better job than UW, for example, well, as of the today. In so terms like of enticing head coaching talent, for sure. I mean, you've yes. got Papa Phil Knight's willing to write whatever check, facilities, right. all that. Sure. Right. right. I'll give but you I that. don't think you guys would say that is my point. And so going back, and I don't I, think UW, I can't I can't say that. I'll get disowned if I say something like that, but I think, I think UW is a top three West coast program as far as like attractability to West coast. I mean, 
yeah West three Coast, or four like three, maybe four, make the, make the four. argument with ucla like U, usc oregon uw ucla is your top four yeah i mean there aren't that many programs on the west coast no but like <laughs> like what what would iowa state be like in the midwest let's just make it let's just make it national number 20 let's just make it national uw is top 25 program top sure. 25 destination for a head coach in the country and it's probably 20 to 25 realistically mm-hmm. yeah and iowa, iowa state's probably 40 yeah that's a huge yeah. difference I mean, is it? Yeah, that's another think twenty so. spots. Uh, I, you guys think it's a bigger difference than I do. UW is a clearly a better program. I don't think the gulf between Iowa State and UW is enough for Matt Campbell to make the jump. Is my point. I think if he makes the jump and he has this roster next year and he hires the right OC with Sam Heward, they could win the conference easy. I'll say this. I'm somewhere in between the two of you. I think Connor thinks this is very realistic. Justin I think thinks it's, it's I, not realistic at all. I'm not I, saying it's happening, but I'm I saying like I, I'm saying it's like it's a very realistic possibility. I would say it's it's definitely unlikely, but it's definitely possible. I think, it, I think it's a better likelihood that Jimmy Lake comes out and says he was wrong for coaching John for hiring <laughs> okay. John Donovan. Okay. And that Pete Carroll resigns and says, you know what, I'm old and I've been, you know, I have bad play calling and you know, I have been too conservative and I've been getting in the way of the Seahawks. I think that's a better likelihood than Matt Campbell coming to UW. Oh, and man. if he does come to UW, then this is a great soundbite for Connor to edit in to the future podcasts. So there you go. Yeah. in the intro every time we'll just change our intro to that <laughs> there you go so connor getting back to you who who i mean obviously matt campbell's in your list but who are other coaching yeah. candidates that are on your list i mean i have a lot of the same guys that you have um the matt campbell would be the one different i guess not not the only difference so number five for me would be kellen moore uh, for all the reasons that you listed that's about as innovative as you can get on the offensive side of the ball and we know that college football is trending definitely towards the offensive side of the game. Um, we've had defensive-minded coaches in Seattle for a long time now, and I'm just kind of ready for a, 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 a different change, I think, there. And Kellen Moore would obviously bring that, not to mention all the, all the things that Sam said about him being in Chris Peterson's corner. This is the one guy in Chris Peterson's tree that I'd be totally fine with hiring. Yeah. Um, and this is the one guy that doesn't fit under the categories that I described when I, of what I wanted in a head coach, which would be a proven head coach that's done it at the power five level, because I think Kellen Moore is that fast, fast of a rising of a commodity out there. And um, no, he's never made hiring decisions. So like that really does worry me. And that's why he's number five on my list, but he's a sexy enough name. And he's smart enough, I think, and he would listen to Chris Peterson Bingo. enough that um, that I think that he would be a good hire. I don't think he's the best hire, but I think he would be a good hire. And he'd be here for a long time. If, if Yeah, that's, like, that's he, the He would have the potential the to be to here for a long more. time. He's only 33. Yeah. Um, because if he does take the job, that's a clear indicator that he is – willing to forego the NFL track. I mean, that's the biggest thing, you know, 
Yep. Some people might want to play devil's advocate and say like, oh, well, if he comes to UW, like he's just going to jump at the next NFL head coaching gig. And I would disagree. Like if he's making that decision to come to college football and to UW, I think that is a very long-term decision given things go well. I mean, he has a franchise quarterback at Dak Prescott, probably a top 10 or inarguable quarterback in the NFL yeah. with Dak Prescott, right? I mean, he's he has offense like that. He can get any he well, can he's got a five job. star true freshman quarterback and Sam Heward. Basically the same thing, right? And so yeah, yeah, no. obviously. It's I mean it's as as it's as similar as Seattle and Ames, Iowa. Basically. <laughs> All right. What's number who's number four? Number four would be Kalen DeBoer. Um, I just I all the West Coast ties, obviously a lot of the same reasons that I just said as Kellen Moore, but he's obviously got a proven track re- record as a head coach. Um, he's going to get, he's going to get swiped up by one of these power five programs, um, just because he's done very well at Fresno and, uh, you know, Fresno is like a borderline top 25 team this year. And obviously there's a lot more talent in Seattle. So I just wonder what he would be able to do with, with the talent that we have here at Washington. Um, so he, he's an enticing name. Uh, number three would be my boy, Matt Campbell um wow number three huh number three number three wow all right yeah um i think it's just i think it's i think it's more realistic than you guys are 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 portraying i also don't i guess that we the main reason why he's number three is i also don't think that it's super likely that they actually do hire him but i do i do think it's more likely than you guys are 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 putting out there just because I, I think Washington is definitely a superior job to Iowa state. And um, I just, he's still relatively young. I think he could build something here and he could also be here for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. If, if, if it ends up being the right fit. Number two, Dave Aranda. Um, just a really, really good coach. <laughs> like a really yeah. really good coach mm-hmm. and he's 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 succeeded everywhere that he's been i think that's um, the other thing i don't remember if we mentioned it or, or not but obvious you know we talked about i think justin you mentioned billy napier was around at alabama for national championships dave aranda was, at LSU. was yeah. at lsu for national championships like he yep. knows what that entails sure yeah and that's that's huge obviously had a lot of success at wisconsin Utah State, Hawaii, like all the way down the board, he's had success yeah. as a defensive coordinator. And then now he's obviously having some pretty good success at Baylor, already knocked off Oklahoma this last week. Yep. Um, so he he seems to just, he, he just understands football, you know, and he knows how to build a program. He seems to be a good CEO type guy as far as like he's made the right hire at offensive coordinator. Um, which I think is just huge for a defensive-minded coach. This is the one defensive guy that I feel like I have on this list that I would be okay with him with him being being the head coach. And then number one, said it before, back up the Brinks trucks, baby. Bobby Stoops, big game, Bobby. Come on, I want him. I want him real bad. I want him real bad. Yeah, no, that would be a great hire. Just, that would be just, tough to beat. Like, like, 
Well, we were talking realistic though, right? Um, <laughs> I, I think that's much more realistic a... than Matt Campbell. Interesting. Well, I also had Matt Campbell at point zero zero one. So I'm curious, so, yeah. what do you, what do you think the next step, what do you think Campbell's going to do? Do you think he'll stay in Ames or do you think he's going go, to go like, yeah, no, to Justin, like, okay. Cause I think Connor and I are in the same boat. I feel like Campbell's too much of a rising star to stay at Iowa state long-term. I mean, that would be, I mean, there's exceptions to it, of course, but generally speaking, you would have to believe he's going to go somewhere else. But do you think that happens this year? Like, is he in the running for LSU? Is he in the running for USC? If James Franklin leaves Penn state for USC, does he go to Penn state? Is that where you're going? Yeah, I think LSU or Penn State. I don't think he would go to USC. Gotcha. Either. Um, okay. So if he was to leave this year, or if he didn't like one of those jobs, he'd stay in Iowa State, get a raise, and then pick a job in another year. I think I think for him, I think SEC is the move that he would be angling for. So, you know, Jimbo Fisher, for some reason, is rumored with LSU. I don't think that would happen. But if some reason Jimbo Fisher left a and I could see him going to A&M. Gotcha. Um, I see him going to the SEC to be frank. Gotcha. Okay. Well, Sam, what's your list? (laughs) I'm going to start this one off hot here, boys. Oh boy. At number five. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I know this is going to get some reactions, but just bear with me because I've, I've eliminated similar to Justin. I've eliminated people that we've already talked about in a fairly unlikely to happen category. So I don't have Bob Stoops on here, but he would be my number one. I took Matt Campbell off of my list because we've already talked about him a lot as well, but he'd probably be two or three for me. Um, Number five, I actually have Justin Wilcox. And here's why I think it's, it's I think it's, it's I think it's very realistic that that could happen. It's extremely realistic. And I think we all agree with that. Like that is a very realistic. It's too realistic. (laughs) And so like, we can go down the list of all of the hesitations that I think we all agree on. And we've, we've talked about, you know, he's botched offensive coordinator hires twice. Now he's been mediocre at best as a head coach at Cal, which is a very difficult place to win. I mean, Tedford's mm-hmm. really the only one in modern history that's had any success there. Um, so who is also supposed to be on the committee that that uh, yeah Jen he was, will be yeah so that's cool yeah so I've got Wilcox here um, I think it's very realistic and then I also believe that he to to Justin's point I think it's a fairly low ceiling hire I don't think that he's a college football playoff type guy i don't think he'll get us there but i also think in the same breath he's a high floor guy like i don't think it would be a disaster and maybe third time's a charm on offensive coordinator i don't think he brings a ton of recruiting juice or anything like that he's obviously very tied into the peterson tree so i think that there's some synergies there in terms of taking that mentorship and not taking that mentorship for granted so i have wilcox at three at number four, I, I've also kind of shifted my list around a little bit, just to be honest, since we've been talking, I want to bring up some other names we haven't talked about, sure. um, mostly covering, All my right, ass, I didn't do that. just mostly covering my ass in case this comes back as a soundbite later. Um, <laughs> but number, number four on my list, I have Todd Monken. I think that's another yeah. very interested, interesting 
candidate. He's currently the offensive coordinator at Georgia. They're having a lot of success offensively this year. He has NFL success as an offensive coordinator with Tampa Bay. He was kind of not great with the Cleveland Browns, but Freddie Kitchen, Kitchens really was meddling and calling plays there. So I wouldn't really chalk that up to Monken. But I liked what Monken did at Southern Mississippi as a head coach. And his, he has a losing record there. But in his final year, you'll remember that that's who the Chris Peterson Huskies played in the heart of Dallas Bowl. And a very low talent team that he pulled together with Nick Mullins at quarterback. He had Michael Thomas, not the Michael Thomas that we all know of in the NFL, but he had a guy, a great receiver down there as well. So interesting option. I think a tough pull out of the South, um, but just another name to throw out there. And now getting into my top three are names that we've already talked about. Number three is Kalen DeBoer for me. I think having Tedford on the committee gives him a leg up all the reasons that we've already mentioned. I think he's an up and coming candidate for a bigger program. He's tied into the West coast. I think seeing the way that he's developed Jake Hayner would bode well in terms of developing Sam Heward into the future. And I think someone that would view this job as a long-term job. Number two, I have Dave Aranda for all the reasons we've already mentioned. He's had success wherever he's been. All the while, his head coaching record is very small sample size and could be, you know, flash in the pan material. But I think with his West Coast ties and the recruiting footprint, I think would go really well. He's been a hot name in college football for three or four years now. So I think he carries a lot of name recognition and I think would be a, a very, I think on this list, He's probably the best fit for the University of Washington in terms of how we've prioritized hires in the past. He's got a defensive mindset, which is something that University of Washington has been known for historically. Um, And he's proven that he's been able to make good hires and bringing in Jeff Grimes. So I like that. And then number one, I have Kellen Moore. I want him so bad for a number of reasons. That's your number one? (laughs) Yeah. And here's another point. Here's another point that we haven't brought up on Kellen Moore. He is the all-time winningest quarterback in college football history, correct? I believe that's true. It is true. What hand hand does Kellen Moore throw the ball with? Oh, God. Here, where are we going with this? What hand? This what? is this is what we're this is the this, argument that you're making. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm not making this as like my number one argument. I'm oh. just bringing it <laughs> bringing it in as a talking topic, which we haven't brought in for him either. Is there is some nuances to left-handed quarterbacking, particularly in the pocket. Sure. And our five-star golden boy Sam Heward, what hand does he throw the ball with? That would be his left. There's. See where I'm going with this. Oh boy, I just don't want this to be like your primary. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's a no, joking not, reason, right? Like it's. Yeah, not I mean, like it's kind of. Reason. Yeah, it's like kind of in jest, but again, just yeah. bringing it up as another talking point. I think sure. it's a worthwhile point. Okay. Um, while it's not the number one reason, I think. I think that he is potentially. Chris Peterson 2.0. And I think if you have a chance to get that person, early on and lock him up, I think. 
that is the one option on this realistic list that I think could go on a 20 plus run of sustained success at UW. I think everybody else is either too old and would move on, or I think everyone else would also have their eyes elsewhere and view the role as a stepping stone. Someone like Dave Aranda, Monken, DeBoer, Bob Stoops, Chris Kleiman. I think they all wouldn't be here for a Don James type run. Don James wasn't here for 20 years, dude. You're talking 20 years. How long was Don James here? 17. Pretty damn close to 20. You said 20. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, but come on. We can argue semantics, but you know what my point. I I get your point. I get your point. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love, I love Kellen Moore. I would, I mean, as far as like me wanting him, it's on the near the top of the list. Yeah. With, like the Matt he's, Campbell. He's, I mean, he's I in all Matt of our Campbell. top five. So yeah. he's, he would be yeah. a good hire. It's just, yeah. Uh, how do They've we talked try? to him. Yeah. They've talked to him. I promise. Well, you well I mean, they talked I'm to him sure two years ago about the offensive coordinator job. And he was sure. like, work, work for Jimmy Lake, who wants to run the damn ball? Pass. Yeah. Like, pun Pass, intended. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to, because, you know, we don't have much time left and we could sit here and bitch back and forth about our lists and whatnot. Um, I want to bring up some names that n- none of us mentioned and that are pretty hot on the, on the circuits of um, rumored names. So I'll start with uh, Sitake, the coach nope. of BYU. Um, well, okay. Well, this wasn't a debate because clearly none of us have it in the top five, but I've seen many lists that, you know, dog yeah. man or Mike Varel of the Seattle times right. or Bruce felt, you name the list. He's basically been on it. Um, why do you guys, and maybe just one of you, why do you guys not like him as a fit at UW? Well, we beat the ever living shit out of him and his team two years in a row in 2018 and 2019. I think last year's BYU success was a total joke. Yeah. So I, this I, year, this year, I think going four and zero against the Pac-12 is impressive. He's playing but, with twenty-eight-year-olds. You don't have that. <laughs> that's either. fair. Yeah, that's also fair. <laughs> that's fair. I don't hate it. I think he's a good coach. It, it. He's not in my top five. He's probably seven to ten for me. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. in any of our top five. So clearly, we don't we don't um, yeah. prefer him. Uh, Dave Clawson, the head coach from Wake Forest. I mean, he's highly rumored, has a hot flying offense at Wake Forest. None of us yeah. had him in his top five. Uh, Connor, why don't you, why don't you like Dave Clawson? Uh, I just don't think he's a great fit. <laughs> <laughs> um, more than anything, like his, his style of offense is just not very West coast at all. Um, and, uh, I think this is kind of a flash in the pan year for him too. Like he's, he's never had this much, much success at Wake Forest. So um, not someone that I would be super, super excited about. I don't think three and nine, three and nine, seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, four and five, finally nine and one. I don't need another seven win, Steve. I agree with all your points. All I have to say in like North Carolina area, it probably is really hard to recruit and attract people to Wake Forest versus the Clemsons and the South sure. Carolina and North yeah. Carolina. I agree with all your points. I'm just saying it's probably not an easy job to have. Yeah. Wake Forest to no, you're probably right. Uh, 
two more Bronco Mendenhall, the former coach of BYU. He's now at Virginia. Um, yeah. He's been a head coach for a long time, proven leader. Um, what do you guys think of that name? Honestly, don't hate it. Um, he would probably be like on, on the outside looking at of like my top six or seven. Um, I, it'd be a little underwhelming. I think like, I think he'd even be, be a little bit more underwhelming than like a Justin Wilcox for me, but, um, but he wouldn't be the worst hire. Yeah. It's an interesting name. I don't think it's a terrible name on the list, but he really hasn't had much success since 2009. I mean, he had a really good run at BYU where he got his name. He went 11 and two, 11 and two, 10 and three, 11 and two. And then since then he's won more than nine, more than eight games twice since 2010 BYU in Virginia. Yeah. So there's part of me that feels like maybe the game's passed him up a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. So not my favorite name on the list, but I prefer him over Dave Clawson for sure. Agree. Other names that I won't ask you about that are on all the list, Jonathan Smith, coach at Oregon state. We've kind of mentioned him. We just don't see him leaving and kind of a similar thing as Justin Wilcox, but not as likely. Um, mm-hmm. Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator of oh. Oregon. I mean, what are we doing? Why is he on all these lists? But he is on all the lists. I don't know yeah, why. I don't know why. Um, I, Jen wouldn't hire that guy. Like, I, I, don't don't know. Know. I don't know why he's on. It's like ignorant writers, but I thought. I, I think it's people mention. just stoking the coals. Yeah. Of Tom the Herman, we've mentioned. Uh, he's not on the list. Um, yeah. You know, I think has shown he has a decent track record on the field. Of yeah. coaching but there's some yep. off the field questions um pull assassins that you know big <laughs> closet you know big things in the closet last one i'll ask you guys about um jay norvell the coach of nevada um mm-hmm. kind of turned that program around similar to fresno state why do you guys hate joy jay norvell i don't hate it i just think that he's a step below some of the other like up and comers on the west coast like satake's in front of him, the boars in front of him. So to me, like if Jay Norvell is your next Husky coach, that's because a lot of other people said no. Agreed. And I think he has a way better shot being frankly, the wazoo coach than like the, yeah, Yeah. that'd be a really good fit. Yeah. So I don't, I I think of the agree, like almost my exact sentiment, Sam, and what my note I had when I saw him on the list in my research, it's just like a lot of things would have to go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also just look at, I just look at the fact that he's 58 and like Kalen DeBoer is only 47. And right. it's yeah, just like, too, if you're going to so go that things. route, yeah. if you're going to go that route, go younger. Yeah. So. yeah. The only other name that you didn't mention that I thought you would is Jeff Brom from Purdue. For mm. me, he's in the same spot as Dave Clawson. Yeah. I think he's had a couple of splashy moments within games at Purdue. Like they've been the upset team of the century. Yeah. Um, yeah seriously <laughs> but uh not really sustained consistent success over the course of the sure. season so for that reason i'm out surprised you didn't bring up jeff choate no <laughs> yeah. <shot. laughs> yeah no no i shot bring him back as a dc yeah 
Yeah, I'd bring him back as a DC. But anyways, tons of names to think about. I'm sure we'll whittle the list down over the next week or so. But I guess, you know. It I'll sounds like it. they're going to come to it. They're going to come yeah. to a decision like in the next like two or three weeks, though. They want to beat that recruiting period, which is December 15th. Yeah. And I think they will. Because I think Jen Cohen's honestly kicked. She said she kicked it off immediately yesterday, but she's been working on it for, oh, for sure. a week and a half yeah. already. So I do anticipate, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the new coaches announced the day after the Apple Cup. Probably a pretty good call. That makes, I, that makes sense. Shortly after. The interim staff would still probably coach the bowl game if we were to yes. make a bowl game, though. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It's a big if, Connor. Do we, if. I know you have time constraints. Do we want to do a quick preview of Colorado, or we just want to call Let's it just good? do score predictions. All right. Okay. And you can, you can say your blurb if you want to. Okay. You can start. All right. Well, I think UW is going to find a way to win the game 27 to 24. I think offensively we'll continue to see junior Adams. Maybe it'll be the first three drives this game, or maybe the first four drives. I think he'll continue to improve the offense to the best that he can at this point in the season. So I think we'll score some points. I think defensively we'll, we'll struggle. I think Colorado can run the ball pretty well. They have a mobile quarterback, a good running back. So for that reasons, for those reasons, I think it'll be a close game. Keys of the game are same as always. Try to contain the running game between the quarterback and running back. Try to utilize our playmakers on offense at the wide receiver possession position. Colorado has given up a, a decent chunk of yards through the air. So try to attack that. Win over win the turnover margin. Same three keys of the game. It's been all season. We can't do it. So hopefully this is the game that we do. Um, yeah, I don't know. 24 17 <laughs> Colorado. Colorado will win. Yeah. It's in Colorado, right? It's in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Altitude. Yeah. Bro. I'm thinking like a. I, I just don't think, I just think Dylan Morris is just so turnover prone and he's going to be in a situation where we have to pass and we just can't for the life of, we just, we just can't. Yeah. Just can't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. Can't win with them. Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah, 24-17 Colorado. I got 20-16 to 16 Colorado. Wow. Sam picks UW to win again. Shocker. Well, <laughs> this is also like kind of I, – I almost don't want to win this game so that like we're almost assured of a Sam Heward Apple Cup. Yeah, there, I, there's a part of it's, – it's hard for me to say that, but there's – I I feel you. Look, if we win the game, I'm not going to be mad. Like I always want UW to win. But – for the betterment of the program and just to look forward to a better Apple Cup, I think it's actually better if we probably lose this game. Yeah, I think given if you're what, looking... Given what Bob Gregory said this last weekend that they're not going to burn his red shirt. So, right. Yeah. I think if you're looking at the most realistic way to build momentum into 2022, mm-hmm. it is a Sam Heward-led victory against the Apple Cup and a splashy hire at head coach the following Saturday or the Saturday yeah. after the game. Yeah. There is something to be said about not being in a bowl and you don't get those extra practices though, too. So, but if it's not the coaching staff you're going to have in 2022, does it really matter? They can still lift. They can still run. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. 
I guess, yeah, if you're saying that the interim coaches are still going to coach the bowl game, then maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. One is it, it obviously depends on who you would end up hiring too. Like if you if you end up hiring like a Matt Campbell, then obviously you can't right have him come to the program yet because Iowa State's probably going to be in a bowl. So it'll be depend on the hire is too. But if you hire Bobby Stoops, that guy can can't come in day one. <laughs> have that guy coach the bowl. No, I don't think you would. You don't want to come in and coach the same shit. Nah. game plan that's been installed you can't do that stuff you can't have that on his reputation are you kidding me no because you think he's gonna put dylan morris out there hell no does no. he want to burn sam heward's red shirt hell Probably put no patrick o'brien out there just for the hell of it sean mcgrew wildcat all game there you go <laughs> who was the guy that the there was a receiver that they went to I know that they've had Bynum throw. McMillan threw the pass back McMillan to Morris. McMillan threw the pass? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, he did. Which That's is really unfortunate because he threw it forward, which pretty much eliminated Dylan Morris's ability to throw the ball, which was what the plan was. But do you, do you actually think that that was a smart play by Dylan, that yeah. like he recognized that and then ran? Or do you think he would just didn't trust that he was actually going to be able to throw the ball downfield? A combination of both. I think the route that was open was a deep post and it was going to be across the entire field. Like, you know, hasn't stopped him in the past. That's true. That's true. But I mean, I think, I think he knew that it was a forward pass and he couldn't throw it. So we ran. All right. Fair enough. All right. Any other closing thoughts guys to episode 50? It's been a good ride. Let's do 50 more, baby. Yeah, and hopefully UW turns it around right now. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't enjoy picking against UW. I don't want to even say the no. reasons why because it's depressing. So I just it's been a score. shitty football season. Yeah. It's not been good. And it's I tried, I was optimistic last week. I thought, here we go. Sam Heward's gonna get a run. He's gonna show us, and I get burned. So you know what? Yeah. But yeah. Jen I mean, Cohen you, taking decisive action is, this is the true. Best the best yep. first step recognizing you have a problem and dealing with it we, absolutely she's, she's dealing with it hopefully she gets it right but it's a good sign and it's a good indication of what could potentially be on the horizon for husky football yep you know if we hire bob stoops there will be a whole new meaning to not great bob <laughs> yeah 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 there will and hopefully we'll never have to say it again that's great, Bob. <laughs> That's great, Bob. So bring it home. Bring Bobby home. He's never, has he ever even been to Seattle? Like maybe twice in his life? I don't know if he, well, yeah, I guess. Has Oklahoma played here? Like yeah, they, they yeah. fucking smoked us they, with like 55 to three. Sam Bradford and DeMarco <laughs> yeah. Murray. That was He, he has great memories of Seattle. Yeah. Husky at, Stadium has At the greatest well. setting. Yeah. At the greatest setting. Greatest setting college football. Okay. Um, well, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. Until next time. Go dogs! We're going to win the national championship next year. Woo! <laughs>